0: Well, Merry Christmas, church family. It is good to be together like this. This is the, the fourth Sunday of Advent. And uh, just a note, this these are our Christmas Eve services, okay? So we're not going to be back here tonight, but uh, we're just praying that you enjoy time with family. Advent is a, a wonderful time of year. It is a time when we look forward to and we we celebrate the coming of Christ. And uh, I trust that you know this, that he not only comes uh, one time, but he comes again and again into our situations. Amen? How many of you have experienced that in your own life? He comes again and again, and we as the church, we await the day when he will come to take us to, to be with him. Well, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles today, if you have them, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. I want to share with you uh, just a great prophecy that points to the very first coming of Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, the, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words around 700 years before the first christmas and so that's over 2700 years ago but isaiah predicted that the savior of the world would come and that he would be born and that he would be called the prince of peace as we come to the end of another year it's hard to believe isn't it right but as we come to the end of another year i know this that many of us in the room could say well i need uh, a message of peace i need the peace of god in my life and again Advent is kind of this bold, in-your-face reminder that the Prince of Peace has come, and the peace that he brings is a lasting peace. You know, it's, it's really rare today to find people who are at peace. Even the world recognizes that peace is a hard thing to come by, and so many just live without it, and they say, well, I'm just going to try to get by. George Carlin wrote these words. I shared them with you once before. You might ask, why are you quoting George Carlin on a Sunday morning? But I want you to get the perspective of many in our world, and I want you to see this morning if you can relate to what he writes. He writes this. He says, the paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense, more knowledge but less judgment, more experts, yet more problems, more medicine, but less wellness. We've multiplied our possessions, but have reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We've conquered the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies than ever, but we communicate less and less. These are the times of fast foods and slow digestion, big men and small character steep profits, and shallow relationships. These are the days of two incomes but more divorce, fancier houses but broken homes. These are the days of quick trips, disposable diapers, throwaway morality, one-night stands, overweight bodies, and pills that do everything from cheer to quiet to kill. It is a time when there is much in the show window and nothing in the stockroom. A time when technology can bring you this letter and a time you can choose either to share it or just hit delete. Some of you were nodding your heads as I read that. Now, why do I, again, quote George Carlin? I think just maybe that you can relate to what he says. And if you can, that's a good sign that we need peace in our world and that peace is so very rare. Peace is a a rare quality, and yet we know this, that is one of the reasons that we celebrate Advent. There's some great themes around Advent, themes of, of love and joy and hope and, of course, peace. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus came to give us peace. Let me make that a little bit more personal. Jesus came to bring you peace. Isaiah chapter 9, listen to this powerful prophecy. It says this, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nations. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, if you know it, say it with me, Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May God bless the reading of His Word. It's interesting because when the angels appear to the shepherds, Luke chapter 2 tells us that they sing a song, and they sing glory to God in the highest, and on earth, come on, you know it, peace, right? Peace among those with whom he's pleased. So Isaiah announces 700 years before Christ's coming, the coming of the Prince of Peace, and when Jesus arrives, the angels announce peace on earth. And really, if you look at Jesus' ministry, his whole ministry was a ministry of peace. Before he ascends to heaven, he declares to his disciples, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's saying the kind of peace that I give, no one else can give. The world can't give it to you. It's so important we understand that, right? That that the peace that Jesus offers us, it can't be found in a bottle, it can't be found in a pill. It can't be found in an earthly relationship. It can't be found in Eastern meditation. Jesus says, the kind of peace that I give, only I can give. And I want you to know today it is a different kind of peace. The peace this world offers is, is phony. It, it, it's fragile. It will not last. And, and I think we're at a place where even our world realizes that. The, the things that have brought many peace have vanished. And now they're searching And we as the church need to declare the source of true and lasting peace. Amen? Well, you say, well, that's great, Pastor. I want to declare peace, but I'm not sure that I have that peace myself. This morning I want to show you how to grab a hold of lasting peace. If you do a quick, quick word study of that word peace, it's actually found 790 verses in the Bible, 790 verses. And so we're going to look quickly at 790 verses this morning. Just kidding, all right? But if you categorize these 790 verses relating to peace, they fall into three categories. Maybe you want to write them down today. Number one is spiritual peace. That is eternal peace. That's peace with God. Secondly, there is emotional peace. You could call that internal peace, right? It is peace with yourself. And thirdly is relational peace. I'd call that external peace, right? It's peace with others. It's getting along with that neighbor that... Nobody on the block can stand, right? You need relational peace for that. And so Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace, and the primary peace that he came to give us is peace with God. Spiritual peace, eternal peace, that is the most important peace because it affects every other peace. You you know this, right? When a relationship is out of whack, especially if it's with a spouse or someone that's close to you, everything else is off, right? Everything else just feels off. Nothing else seems to matter. That break in the relationship robs you of your peace. And can I just say this morning that nothing affects your peace more than when you are out of relationship with God the Father. Second Corinthians 5, 8 says this, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Understand, any time that I go my own way, any time I, I say, you know what, God says that, but I know better, <laughs> so I go my own way. It's an act of rebellion, and it puts me in conflict with God, and, and when there's no connection with God, all of a sudden, he begins to feel a million miles away, but God has made us to be connected with him, and Christ came to allow us to have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God uh, does not come through what you do. It comes through what Christ has already done on the cross. And you cannot earn peace by by being a nice person, by being on the nice list this Christmas, right? Peace comes by trusting fully in what Christ did. That's the first kind of peace. It it allows me to have peace with God. But the second kind of peace is, is peace with me. It's an emotional peace. It's an internal peace. Scripture calls it the peace of God, right? Or the peace of Christ. Colossians 3.15 encourages us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In your heart, it's speaking of an emotional peace. Now, the word for peace in Hebrew is, come on, we live in Rockland County. You better know this one. Shalom, right? Shalom. Hopefully you see a Jewish brother or sister on a Friday night as they're getting ready for Shabbat. You say Shabbat Shalom. Have a peaceful Shabbat, right? But that word Shalom, the word for for peace, is more than just the absence of hostility. It means well-being, it means happiness, it means harmony. Again, 790 verses about the peace of God. There is a peace for whatever situation you face. You see, when you have peace with God, when you follow him you get the peace of God when you have a a right relationship with God he can bring an internal emotional peace but the final peace is peace with others so there's peace with God peace with myself and then there's peace with others this is an external or what I would call a relational peace and here's the truth some of you have experienced it firsthand The, the further you drift in your relationship with God the more negatively it affects your relationships with others right Like, if this relationship is off vertically, all of a sudden I mess up all of these relationships horizontally. Now, what that means is if you want to improve your relationship with a a friend, a family member, a spouse, right? How do you do that? Well, you get close to God. You see, sometimes when a relationship is broken, we just want to work on that relationship. We want to fix that relationship directly. But if we don't have peace with God, then we won't have the peace of God And there is no way that I can have peace with you. But if you're growing closer to God and your spouse is growing closer to God, it will pull you closer together. Amen? But again, the further away I get from God, the the more cranky I get with others. (laughs) The more out of whack you are with God, the more out of whack you will be in your relationship with others. And, And can I just say, the world's not getting any more peaceful right? Day by day, the world seems to be only getting more conflicted. Our country is getting more conflicted. The only way we have peace is when we are unified as the children of God. As a country, we use the phrase e pluribus unum. It means out of many, one. But as we look around and we see our cities in chaos, we see so much conflict, how in the world can we come together? Well, true peace only comes when we know the Prince of Peace. And really, the unity of the church ought to stand in contrast to the division and the conflict that will always be in the world. Galatians 3.28, Paul writes, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, Christ is that great equalizer, right? It's been said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so our salvation, when we know Christ as our Savior, it ought to humble us. And know this, Humility is the pathway to peace. Humility is the pathway to peace. Pride is the pathway to conflict, right? Whenever we see conflict in the body, it's it's because usually someone has gotten prideful and their ego has gotten in the way. And so understand, these three types of peace, they actually build upon each other. When I have peace with God, when I'm in a right relationship with Him, then I can receive the peace of God. And when I have the peace of God... I start feeling right about myself, right? I know who I am, and I know who God's created me to be. And when that is right, then I can have peace with others. If I'm at peace, then all of a sudden the things that used to bother me no longer bother me. Now, if we go back to our passage in Isaiah, in one sense we could say that not a lot has changed since the time in which Isaiah gave his prophecy. There is still, uh, from a worldly perspective, a lack of peace. There is still war, there is still oppression, there is still violence in our world. Our our world today seems to know no settled peace. But in the midst of this, the prophet focused on the coming Messiah, again focused on the Prince of Peace. Back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5, Isaiah says that he anticipates that the boots of the warriors and the garments rolled in blood are destined to be burned and destroyed. Think about this, in the midst of violence and oppression, Isaiah focuses on the coming Messiah, says the things of war will be put away, and here's why. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. In other words, the answer to everything that is taking place and will take place is found in the birth of, of this child. And it's not just any child that's to be born. There's four names that are used to describe him here. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and of course, Prince of Peace. Basically, what the prophet Isaiah is saying is that this child that's to be born, he, who is the prince of peace, if we are to have peace in our lives, we need to go to that child. And think about what a staggering claim that was in, in that time, but think about what a staggering claim it is still in our world today. Again, we're looking for peace in our, in our cities. We're looking for peace in our schools. Maybe you're just looking for peace in your home, but apart from the prince of peace, we can know no lasting peace. Again, if I don't have peace with God, then I don't have the peace of God, I I don't have peace internally, then how am I going to have peace externally with you? And and so our government, our nation, will continue to try to legislate peace, but we know whatever peace comes is only a temporary peace if it is apart from the peace of God. And and that's why the, the name of Jesus carries so much appeal, doesn't it? I mean, who is this Prince of Peace? He is the one who has not only achieved peace, but he himself is our peace. If we receive him, we receive that peace. As we look at the world around us, again, that seems to be lacking so much peace, there's only two reactions. I I know that simplifies it quite a bit, but there's really only two reactions as we see the world around us. Two reactions in our search for peace And both of them come from some of the great fathers of rock and roll, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. I know none of you know who they are. We can either look at the world around us, and we can see the chaos, and we can see the unsettledness, and we can say, we can work it out, we can work it out, right? Or we can say, help, I need somebody, help. Not just, you know these songs. But the default reaction of man, if he's honest, says, I I know things are not the way they're supposed to be, but but we can fix this, right? We can work it out. After all, we've been given intelligence and resources. We we have what we need to make this right. We can look internally and say, you know what? In my own life, things are not the way they need to be, but don't worry. We can take care of this. We can work this out. There's so many today that would claim to have the answers For the lack of peace in their lives by simply looking inward Again, as a nation there's this honest sense of yes we're in a bit of a mess but there's also this thinking is we can fix this we can work it out but there's another alternative and maybe it's for you to say for the very first time help (laughs) I need somebody not not just anybody you see that's the cry from those who have looked in themselves and realized that what's inside them is not enough. And so instead of searching inward, is there someone that comes from the outside of me who has the answer to this lack of peace in my life? You know, at the core, that is the message of Scripture. The Word of God is not an account of men finding God, but rather God finding man. For unto us a child is born. It's all about God's initiative. Because the word of God makes it clear that there has been no lasting peace since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Today, so many lack peace and they wonder is there somebody, is there something that can fix this? Help. I need somebody, not just anybody. We all need someone to step in and bring about a lasting peace and the peace of God. Can I just say this is an eternal, it's a lasting peace. Verse 7 tells us his government and its peace will never end. could ask, well, what kind of peace is that? Because honestly, we've never known peace like that. Listen, if there is a peace that is eternal, and if that peace is found in this Messiah, who is himself the Prince of Peace, then how does all of this work out in my life, right? How does all this work out on a day-to-day experience? How do we get from a phrase, Prince of Peace... To the experience of peace in our lives if god has truly come as this prince of peace then wouldn't it make sense that he has accomplished what he said he would do colossians chapter 1 paul introduces us to jesus there in verse 19 he says for god in all his fullness was pleased to live in christ and through god reconciled everything to himself he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Verse 21, this includes you. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. See what Paul is saying there? He's saying, you you were once far away from God. In other words, you were alienated from God. It's that alienation from God, again, that affects every area of our life, right? And so the problem before the world is this alienation from God. And and the solution to this is only found in Scripture. No other religion addresses this problem in in the same way. Buddhism will say, well, you just got to look within. You'll find the answers there. But if we can find peace within then why would Jesus come? Why would he come and die for his enemies all the while praying for their forgiveness? That's the story of Christianity and that this Prince of Peace, he dies for those who are hostile to him. He dies for those who are opposed to him. At the same time, again, he's praying for the forgiveness of his enemies. Why did he do this? Because he knew the seriousness of this alienation. You see, the Word of God actually has answers to what troubles us in the world today. And it says, listen... The reason you know relational and, and psychological alienation, all those alienations are du- directly related to the alienation that's mentioned there in verse 21. You were God's enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions, enemies in your mind. If we are enemies of God, can I just say, man, what hope is there of peace, right? If we're enemies of God, unless this God is the one who takes the initiative. And that is exactly the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. God takes on human flesh. And he provides for us the man who would represent all of mankind. Jesus comes to deal with our alienation from from God by reconciliation. All of the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And so through Jesus, through the Messiah, he would reconcile all things. In other words, there, there was a barrier between God and man. That barrier is our, is our sin. It's our rebellion against God. And all of that sin offends a holy God. Because he is just, he must punish sin. Because he is loving, he provides the solution for us. Paul makes sense of that phrase that he's the Prince of Peace. This Messiah is the Prince of Peace. And you could say, well, in what sense? He is the Prince who by his death atones for sin. He took upon himself a righteous response from the Father. The Prince of Peace goes to the cross of Calvary, and there he bears in his own body our sins. What takes place on the cross It's a big word. It's this word propitiation. Now, what does that mean? It means he bears the wrath that you and I deserve. The story of the cross is also found in Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and afflicted, Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Christ's sacrificial death is the answer, hear me today, to all our human alienation. The answer to all the fractures and all the failures in our world. All of those unfulfilled hopes and dreams can can find fulfillment on the cross of Calvary. You see the Christmas story that Hallmark paints It's not the story we see in the Bible. Christmas story is really a story of reconciliation. And if you want peace, hear me, true and lasting peace, the real question is, are you first of all reconciled to God? Jesus came to make a way for you to have peace with God. And if you can have peace with God, again, then you can know the peace of God, and you can extend that same peace to others. If you're looking for peace today, it's only found in one place. It's found in the Prince of Peace. And Jesus himself is a sufficient Savior. On the cross, Christ accomplished reconciliation. So the issue for us today is not one of achievement, but rather acceptance. See, many today are are completely unaware that reconciliation has been achieved. But in our alienation, the Prince of Peace has done a work of reconciliation that ought to lead to transformation in our lives. By his death, by his burial, by his resurrection, Jesus has brought us peace. And the amazing thing is that right now, you and I get to see glimpses of that peace, but one day, there will be ultimate peace. Isaiah chapter 11 speaks of a time when the lion will lay down with the lamp Speaks of a time when the things of war will be no more. God is going to provide a a new heaven and a new earth. And it's not going to be about the power or the intellect of man. It's all going to be about the glory of God. How? Because a child is born and he is the prince of peace. And if you are to know peace, the only way you can know that peace is to come to him. And you can, maybe today, for the very first time, receive that reconciliation with God that he does not ask you to achieve, but only to accept. John chapter 1, verse 12, lets us know this. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Today, if you would receive Christ, if you would believe that there is salvation in the name of jesus you can become his child and you can know the peace of god i want to say you can do that right in this moment this morning even by simply saying jesus help (laughs) i recognize i need somebody i need somebody to intervene jesus i need you to intervene and i trust you for my salvation help i need somebody not just anybody see advent is Again, a time of remembrance. I said last week that we often lose our joy when we forget what we should remember and we remember what we should forget. And as we remember Christ's coming, it ought to bring us tremendous peace because not only did Jesus come that very first Christmas, but we know this, he comes again and again into our situations. And so would you stand with me for a moment this morning? And I just want to take a moment before all of the busyness, before you you run out the doors and you check what's in the oven and you go down your list of tasks that you need to accomplish, I I just want us to take a moment and receive this peace this morning. But hear me, because I already said it, you cannot know the peace of God unless you first have peace with God. So even in this moment of silence before the Lord, maybe you need to see that relationship restored first of all. We believe that takes place by faith. All you have to do is honestly admit that you are a sinner in need of God's help. You need to believe that Jesus came and he paid the penalty that your sins deserve and then you simply confess him as the Lord and master of your life and you live that way for the rest of your life. I want you to take a moment this morning though, again, before we even sing a song before we get into all the busyness and just receive his peace this morning. Maybe it's for the very first time. Maybe it's coming back to him and recognizing, man, you've walked away from peace, but it's available to you this morning. So take a moment it's where you are right now and receive that peace.